Good morning, Cornerstone. Oh, it's always uh, good to be with you, good to see you. Um, I have been enjoying the summer. Um, it, I, I saw one of the memes back in, in May. Uh, it was a picture of Noah on the ark, and someone from behind says, Noah, where are we? He looked out the window and says, we must be in western New York. <laughs> if you can remember the rain from the spring, but when summer came, it really came, and I'm grateful. Um, and out walking um, probably seven to ten miles a day, uh, mostly on golf courses, but it's still walking. <laughs> and um, so I've enjoyed, and the last few days and, and coming weeks, I've been attending professional development, getting ready for school. And over the last couple of months, as I've been considering uh, the message, it's like, okay, Lord, uh, what to preach? And when I believed that he gave me the message, I said, okay, Lord, why? Um, wh why? Um, and I, I was taught as a, as a young um, person in youth group to always ask the question, why? Um, what he didn't teach me was um, who to ask that question to. Um, uh, mother didn't take kindly to asking her why uh, when she instructed us to do something. I tell my, my students now, I said, you know, you, you have attitudes, and what an attitude was like in the 60s uh, was different, because if a teacher said something and I asked why, my mother was told I had an attitude. Um, I just wanted to know the reason. And, um, and sometimes when I tell my students something and they're questioning and questioning, I said, okay, I'm going old school, and I hear this chorus, because I said so. Um, but I, I asked um, God, what do you want? And he led me to Ephesians chapter 4. And that's where we're going to spend a little time in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And, and when I, I got there, I asked why. And I didn't get an answer until the last um, couple of weeks. The reason why God has me speak here is because his message to me is, be careful, Dennis, how you walk. And then I began to ask myself the question, how's your walk? You know, not my, my walk in the park following a little white or green or orange ball or the pink ball that I found. And, um, and I know some guys, if they find a pink ball, they give it away. I held on to my pink ball and I got a hole in one for the first time with my pink ball. It's, it's, it's now in a little case um, um, in the house with stuff written on it. But, but, it was part of the walk, the physical walk that I was taking, but that's not what this word is only talking about. And so I said, God, what do you mean? Why do you want me to consider my walk? And then began to think what I'm going back to in two weeks. I'm going to a school where on a daily basis I will teach Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, Christians, um, people who don't go to church, don't know anything about God. I'm going to be before them, and they're going to see my life. And what better way for them to see the word of God alive than with my walk? But how am I walking? What am I doing on a daily basis that would attract them to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That would attract them to, to God himself? I, I, was, I was thinking, I remember a song that we sang in Sunday school a few years ago. It says, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Uh, for the Father up above is looking down with love. 
Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Then it goes on to say, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Little hands, what you do. Little feet, where you go. Um, and I went on YouTube, and I put that in, and it's still being sung. But one of the, the groups added two new things that I hadn't heard. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. And be careful, little mind, what you think. For the Father up above is looking down with love. And, and as I thought about that, that encompasses my whole walk. Um, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I saying? Uh, what am I doing? Where am I going? Uh, who am I trusting? What am I thinking? That encompasses the walk that I have. And so it takes us to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, your word truly is light to our feet um, and to our pathway. Help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Help, Lord, this morning that this won't just be another religious academic exercise, but we will allow your spirit to speak to us. So speak to us this morning. Um, challenge us, if necessary, change us by your word, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says, says walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And, and so as I, as I looked up uh, the words, I love doing word searches, um, the strong says it means the walk is to tread around, um, to walk at large, figuratively, to live, to deport oneself, to follow, um, to go, to be occupied with, to walk. Um, Thayer says to walk means to make one's way, to progress, to make use, to make due use of opportunities. He says in the Hebrew it meant to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself, to pass one's life. And I like that, to regulate myself. How am I regulating myself? Do I regulate myself? Um, for the longest time, this, this was my, one of my favorite times of the year because football had come back after being away for too long. And um, on the NFL channel during preseason, they have football games on. Whatever they've watched play this, this, this weekend will play over and over and over again um, during this week until Thursday when a new set come along. And, and I haven't watched a full football game in over four years, but I, I like watching bits and pieces of football games. Well, one of the biggest part of football games is the regulation. Um, and every year, the, the rules committees comes together and it puts out new rules. And the way they really test it is during the preseason. Um, this new rule as to can I, um, I can now challenge whether a call was made or wasn't made. And, and it's been watching how they regulate this. And, and God says to us through Paul, regulate your life in a way that's worthy of the calling that you have. Uh, look at what you say. Look at what you do. Look at where your eyes go, where your ears go. Look at what your hands do and what, what your, where your feet go. So he says, not only to walk, but to walk worthy. Uh, and he says, walk in a way that's becoming, um, walk in a godly sort. Walk worthily of the call that you have. Walk suitably, Thayer says, in a manner worthy. Are you walking right? Are you walking with the right regulation that you've been placed on yourself by God and his word? 
in 2012, I was on leave of absence, uh, going back to school, taking courses, and at the dare of my daughter-in-law, I taught kindergarten for a week. Now, you have to remember, I had just come off of eight years of teaching high school, and I went to kindergarten. Um, the first half hour of the first day was all about how do we get in line and how do we walk? And, um, you know, and I had my way of doing things. And they were only five and six, so they had to do it my way. So I got them in line, got them out of their seats in line. Well, they just got out of the seats and rushed in line. I said, nope, this is how we do it. And so we, we, I taught them how to get out of their seats, push their chairs in, and walk to the line. Um, I had a person at the head of the line and a person at the end of the line. And then you, the only thing that you saw in line was the head of the person in front of you. Your hands were to your side, your mouths were closed. We went out the door, we made about 20 feet, and we turned around and went back in. And we did this for, I started early because they had to go and eat. We did this for a while, and we were late. And we did this leaving and going back. And when we had to go to music, we did it again. Um, by the second day, people in the building were talking about how these kids were in line. I, I imagine, well, the teacher, and I met her, she says, I'm not too strong in discipline. She was great with rituals and routines because these five and six-year-olds knew exactly what to do and when to do it during the day, but they did it their own way. That's just not my makeup. Um, by the end of the week, they were asking me if I could come back again, and they wanted me to take another class that needed to learn. But <laughs> what... The thing was, was there were children who learned how to walk. My, my second year in the district, um, in the city school district, I taught a set of 15 special ed students, fifth grade. Um, they had gone through a few teachers over the previous years, and, um, and they were mine. And again, the very first week, we learned how to walk through the building. One of the things that I began to notice was as we walked through the building, um, adults would be whispering. And you get so kind of self-conscious when you're walking by and people are whispering, and it's happening in various places in the building. And, and one day I just said, you know, enough of this. So I saw two ladies who were whispering and looking at my kids, and I looked at them. They were in line. They were walking straight. No one was talking. And I said, I'm walking through the halls. My students are doing what they're supposed to do. They're in line, quiet, walking through the halls. Why are people whispering? And she said, we've never seen them walk that way before. And I says, wow. My conclusion, when we walk worthy, people notice. Uh, people are watching us. In, in high school, um, youth group teacher challenged us to take our Bibles to school. No problem. Second line, don't put them in your book bags. Problem. I had just been given a big black leather Schofield reference Bible. And I carried my Bible, and I put it on my desk. And it was a young lady who says, oh, you're one of those. I'm going to be watching you. And whether you have someone who tells you they're going to be watching you or not, people are watching you. So, so we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Well, well, what's this mean? Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Wow. Um, humility. Um, see, this is humiliation um, of the mind. It's modesty. Uh, it says humbleness, uh, a lowliness. 
It's bringing myself low. We live in a world where everyone's taught to exalt themselves. Um, do you like giving resumes, putting resumes in? Um, some people do, because they want everybody in the world to know how great they are. Uh, but when you've been taught to be humble, resumes are very difficult things. Because you're supposed to put your best foot forward. You're supposed to show off who you are so that they will want you. And so I struggled with, with resumes uh, because you know, I, I wanted to, to be humble. Uh, we have um, a, an observation and an evaluation uh, every year. And you know, my first year in the new school, um, you know, they said, you know, are you uh, highly effective? Are you effective? Um, are you developing? And I figured everybody's developing. And so for a number of things, you know, I, I, I knew I did them well, but I wanted to be humble. And I said, developing. And then I, I wound up in front of the principal saying, why, why are you still developing in these areas? And I said, I was just trying to be humble. Um, and so now I learned how to brag and ask for forgiveness. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but humility. Um, it's, it's sometimes hard being humility, especially when you think you're great um, at something. But God says, you know what? If you put yourself low at the right time, I'll exalt you. Uh, on the other side, if you place yourself way up there, um, I will bring you low. And so allow God to bring us to the place where, where we're seen. And, and when they see me, what are they seeing? Uh, Thayer says this word humility is having a humble opinion of oneself. It says it's also a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Uh, that's, you know, I said, wow. Um, and I am little. You know what? When I see myself little in, in, in my sight, it's one thing. But when I see myself little in God's sight, that's a good place to be. Because God's not going to leave me way down there. God says, let me lift you up, because I'll lift you up in the right way. Because if you look at the lives of the people around you, what you'll see is, in order many times for a person to make themselves look good, I have to put somebody else down. And God says, no, you look at yourself in a very humble state, and I will raise you up to be the person that those around you will see. But when they see me, I want them to see Christ in me. Then he said gentle, you know, gentleness. Um, again, there's a meekness that's involved. And I remember hearing a, a phrase um, growing up that meekness does not mean weakness. Uh, Jesus was meek, but he certainly was not weak. Um, he didn't put himself out there and say, hey, look at me. As a matter of fact, he says, don't put yourself out there and say, hey, look at me. When Paul did say, look at me, he says, look at me. Not only look at me, but imitate me, but only look at me and imitate me when I'm looking at and imitating Christ. And so I can, I can be meek. I can be in a place where I'm not bragging about myself, where I'm not telling you how great I am. That's the type of gentleness uh, that he was talking about, having a mildness uh, about myself. And then either my favorite facetiously or my least favorite, patience. Um, I remember the first time I prayed for patience. We had an 18-month-old. And God says, okay, I'll just let him act like an 18-year-old. That'll teach you patience. Um, and if you have raised a, an 18-month to 3-year-old, you've learned patience. Um, and 
I've told people who are having children in the upper years, it says, no, two-year-old is only preparing you for 13-year-old. Um, because you learn how to wait. Uh, you learn how to, to, to bear with. Um, my son has a son, another dentist. There are three of us. And I remember when, when he was two, and I remember the energy. And it's like, nobody should have this much energy who doesn't have a job. And, <laughs> and, and he would go, he would go. He didn't want to sleep. He didn't want to lie down. He wouldn't, didn't want to do anything. Um, and if he didn't lie down, if he didn't get a nap or at least rest in, in midday, he turned into this, this child at 6 o'clock that, you know, you wondered, you know, and he prayed for his safety because you were going to hurt him. Uh, and, and, and God says, this is what I'm giving you to teach you patience, to teach you how, how to deal with different people. Little did I know that I would be in front of an entire classrooms of kids, the, the, the 15 person class that I taught, um, 10 of them were ADHD, and three of them were being medicated for it. And so the others, I had to teach how to control themselves, um, teach strategies for, for calming down and doing what they were supposed to do when they were supposed to do it, and then giving them time to be as crazy as they wanted to be. I had to teach them all of those things. Um, that took patience. And, and where did that patience come from? I had a two-year-old. And, and, and that taught me. I, I learned so much. Um, I don't pay for patience anymore because God will give it to you. And when God gives you patience, it's, it's the, the manner in which he gives you patience is always having someone trying in your life. And, and even if, as adults, as you work with adults, if you ever hear yourself saying, oh, God, please give me patience, be prepared for the lessons. And you know what? But God sustains you through the lessons. He, he helps you in those times. And sometimes the patience isn't because of the crazy people around us. Sometimes it's patience because of us. Because we don't like to wait. You ever been going somewhere and had to wait for somebody? And, ooh, I don't want to go there. Um, <laughs> but we don't like to wait. Has somebody been 20 minutes late? Um, I heard a message this morning talking uh, about Abraham, and he was talking about obedience, and, and Abraham was, was told as, as Abram that you are going to be, you know, this father of many, and then the father of multitudes, and, and it took years and years and years, and, and after a certain amount of years, he and Sarah said, hey, we'll do this our way. Uh, Abraham taking Sarah's advice, and, and Ishmael was born with a whole set of problems that were there. And then they, they waited more years, 25 years. And I looked at that, and I really thought about that and said, 25 minutes is a long time. What about 25 years? At age 10, I said I wanted to be a teacher. I started teaching when I was 41. But the lessons that I learned in those years, between 10 and 41, I believe, make me a better teacher because of the things that I got to do and the life that I got to experience. Uh, God says, be patient, be patient. Uh, do it in my timing so you don't mess it up. Do it in my timing so that I can prepare you, so that I can develop you, so that I can work the things into your life that are necessary for you to do it well. Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble because we're not patient. I want something, and I want it now. And there's this little piece of plastic in my pocket that says, I can have it now. 
Um, I, the last call I got from my bank was, you know, we, we found that you're pre-approved for a credit card. And I said, that's great. Do I have to pay it back? And we laughed about it, and I said, no, keep your card. Um, because I like, I, I like toys. I'm 62, and I like toys. Uh, most of the toys that I like are in the golf family. You know? And I said, when I retire, I'm going to add fishing back into um, my schedule. And there's some great toys out there. Um, when my, my other bank, the credit union, gave me a credit card, um, it was cool. She says, I said, give me a $2,000 balance. Oh, no, you don't want a $2,000 balance. Because when you lose money, it'll be a higher percentage, and your credit rating will go down. I said, what do you think I should have? We'll give you a $16,000 credit. And so I'm learning patience with my $16,000 credit limit. Um, do you know when it's, when it's hardest to leave that thing alone? In February, when you have negative wind chill factors and you hear about people going to Miami, um, and you say, I can afford with this plastic to go, and God says, no, wait, uh, save, um, put on a hoodie in the house, you know, whatever is necessary for you to get to the place where you want to be. Um, your walk should be one of patience. And then forbearance, bearing with one another. Um, you know, why are you saying that, God? Why do you say that in my walk I need to be able to bear with others? Because there are difficult people out there. There are people who are not as nice and as kind as you are. There are people who are not as patient as you are. And God wants to do something in their lives, and so he puts you in their life. And sometimes God wants them to know that, you know what, with my children, you can abuse them and not expect anything back. You can ridicule them and not expect them to get back at you. That you can push their buttons, but when they're relying on me, they'll take it and still love you. When he was saying that to me, I said, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. We, we want to put people in their place. We want people to know, you're not going to walk all over me, and I'm going to treat you just the way you treated me. And God says, no, that's not it. Just learn how to bear with each other. Hey, there are there's amazing cross-references where, where Jesus said he, 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 bear, he bore with people. He says, I'm going to bear with you. Or sometimes he would ask, how long do I have to bear with you and your lack of faith and your unbelief? But he kept on bearing with them. Um, you've raised children, and you've had to bear with them. Um, and there are great rewards for bearing with your children if you do it the right way. Um, I have a, a princess, and, um, and my princess will tell you, yes, I am spoiled. Um, but my princess bought me a snowblower this year, so um, my Apple Watch, my princess got that together. My Garmin GPS watch for golf, my daughter got that together. So um, I got to bear with all of the things that she went through. Um, my son, there wasn't a whole lot of bearing with. You know, he was kind of like this. He was like, you know, he would wave a little bit. Um, my daughter was like this, and then like that, and then like that. You know, she liked pink one time, and then she liked purple, and no, I don't like that, get me blue. And, you know, you, you bear with those things, and you have coworkers that you have to bear with. Um, you have family members that don't live in your house that you have to bear with. Some of you have neighbors. Oh, my goodness, your neighbors you have to bear with, and God says, bear with them. Bear with them. Not just within the church. Because sometimes there are people in church that you have to bear with. 
And what does God say? He says, bear with that. That's part of your daily walk. That's what God is, has prepared for you. So let's go on. Because there's another side of that coin. It says, now, this is how you walk. Um, you walk with gentleness and humility, with meekness and with forbearing. He says in verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. I hope you've never used the, the excuse, well, that's just the way that I am. When God says, yeah, that's the way you are, but that's not the way I want you to be. Change. In, in chapter 2, when Paul talks about the way that we used to live, we used to walk, we used to be. And sometimes it's hard to change. I, I'm um, working on a new golf swing this year. And this is where my patience is being tried in this new golf swing. Uh, because when I do what, you know, what the guy says to do in the video, my shots come out so nicely. It's like, wow, you're a real golfer. But as I begin to golf for a while, and I'm out there in the round, I go back to my default. And, and my default swing gives me my default results, which is the reason why I'm doing something new. <laughs> but it takes repetition. It takes repetition to get yourself to doing the new thing until it becomes what you're supposed to be doing. And, and God says, when you're learning to walk, um, it's not easy. I have a friend, young, younger guy, um, actually he's in his 50s now, but he's younger than me, so um, he had something happen within his body, and he had to learn how to walk all over again. And, and you would think, but, but you know, you've been walking you know, for 50 years now, you should know how to walk, even if you're by. No, he had to, they put braces on him. They had to put him um, in, a, um, in his walking apparatus. And he had to learn how to walk all over again. And he had to learn how to do things one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time, until he ingrained walking again. And now you're in a, a new life. And God says, learn how to walk the new way. I have students from all over the world that come through my class, and, and some of them have only been speaking English for a couple of years. And, you know, and, and I'm teaching seventh and eighth grade, and, and, and they're not accustomed to the academic vocabulary of our seventh and eighth grade. And, and so we have to go through, and we have, I have to teach them some things over again. I have to give them a way of getting definitions so that they can learn this. They've been talking since they were toddlers. But now there's a new language that they have to learn, and they have to, to repeat and repeat, and they have to go over and go over uh, things that are there. And sometimes when, when they're with each other, you know, um, I will hear um, um, Swahili in my class. You know, I will hear Arabic in my class. I will hear Nepali in my class. I will hear Karen. I didn't even know that there was a language, Karen. And then I heard Kareni that is sort of like Karen, but it's not Karen. And, and this is what they do. They're talking, and they're trying to give me an answer, but then they'll go to the person next to them who understands their language, and they'll say it in their language, and that person will say something back, and then they'll try it in English. 
And sometimes it's like that with our walk. We knew how we used to walk. And, and the older we were when we came to Christ, it seems like the struggle is greater because we had a long time to walk in our old way of life. But God says, your old way, don't do that anymore. Learn to walk the new way. You're practicing it day in and day out. How long? For the rest of your life. How many of us have been Christians for over 40 years and we go back to the default when we were kids or teenagers? And so he says, no, you haven't learned Christ that way, so don't walk that way. So what's he say to do? He says, put off your old self, which begins, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It starts there. Get into God's word. Have your mind reshaped by him. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The rest of that chapter, um, let me just read it so you can just hear. Because he, he contrasts the old and the new way of walking. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let her, rather let him labor, uh, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This is where I had to stop. I don't swear. Um, I, I told kids, I said, oh, no, you know when you're home. And I actually, years ago, had one of my students call Cheryl on her job. And she said, Miss Johnson, have you ever heard your cousin, your, cousin, your husband swear? And she says, no, never heard him swear. Um, and that was 20 years ago, and she still has not heard me swear. That's not my problem. My daughter told me what my problem was when I first started teaching. She says, Dad, got to watch the sarcasm. Your sarcasm gets really biting. And I can hurt a person far more with sarcasm than with swearing. And so I had to watch my mouth there. Um, you know, sometimes I think very quickly on my feet, but only with the wrong things, the wrong responses. And, and so sometimes the, the, the words that come out of my mouth, even they're, though they're not profanity, is still corrupt. Do I speak doubt? Do I put people down? Do I use that sarcasm that comes so easy? But he says, don't let it come out of your mouths. But in my walk, only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I mean, Cheryl gave me a verse before we were married from the book of Colossians. Let your speech be with grace seasoned with salt that you might know how to answer everyone. And one of those, those mornings in the beginning of the year when I only slept three hours because my mind decided to start going into overdrive at 1 or 2 a.m., and I'm there with middle schoolers who do whatever they want to do when they want to do it, I had to remind myself, let your speech be with grace. Um, I didn't want my speech to be with grace. I wanted them to sit down and shut up, but you don't say those things um, in a class to a group of forming children most of the time. Um, he says, and do not grieve, in verse 30, the Holy Spirit of God, 
by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. So he says, get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Let it be put away with, uh, from you, along with malice. And here's what you do in your new walk. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When I think about forgiveness, and there are people that we have deemed not worthy of forgiveness, and that's where we were. We weren't worthy of forgiveness, but Christ died for us anyway. Christ forgave us anyway. And here's where we want to wrap this up, just in the first two verses of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Is that my life? Is my life an offering to God? When I look at myself as an offering to God, it doesn't matter what the people around me do. Will it hurt? Yes. Will it irritate us? Yes. Anger us? Yes. But you know what? I'm imitating God. I'm, I'm, my Bible reading now is in the book of Ezekiel, reading through um, Isaiah uh, and Jeremiah. Um, it's like those people, and somebody of the Spirit was saying, you're saying those people? Um, I think there are times when you would have fit in with those people. And when I look at them and look at what they had done and how they lived for generation after generation until God says, I have to put you far away from me. I think if it wasn't for his mercy, he would have put me far away from him. If it wasn't for his grace and his love, his patience and forbearing, he would have put me far away. So it says, you know, don't do what comes natural. The people around us that are not believers do what comes natural. But we're no longer living in the flesh, but we're living by the spirit. So, hey, do what's spiritual. Imitate God and walk in love. Loving says, I will do what's best for you without expecting anything in return. I will give my all to you when you're most undeserving. When you're most unlovable and unlovely and unloving, I'll still give myself for your best. And God says to us, walk in love. The same way Jesus walked in love and gave himself up for us. How do you want to smell before God? What fragrance do you want to offer? Often when you read about the sacrifices, it talks about how it was received into his nostrils as a sweet-smelling savor. Is that our lives? Is that our walk before God? And so as I sat mostly this week and, and I meditated here on, on this word, and I said, okay, you're going to be in front of 125 students a day, and they're going to see your life. You're going to tell them in the beginning who you are. We, we're going to do an exercise. I've been doing it in a couple of years where um, I will introduce myself using three objects, and then they'll do the same. The three objects that I'll use are my Bible, a picture of my family, and a golf club to represent my faith, my family, and fun. And I'll talk about who I am in two minutes using those things, and I'll challenge them to do the same thing. Well, you know what? When you tell them the first week that you're a child of God, that you've been saved by Jesus Christ, 
then you've got to live it for the rest of the year. And so some people know that you're a believer from what you've said. Do they know the same from how you live? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is precious, and sometimes it's hard. Uh, sometimes your word tells us to do things that we know that we can't do on our own, and I'm grateful that you don't expect us to do them on our own. You've given us your word that you told us to read, to meditate on, and to do, and you've given us your spirit who not only walks alongside of us, but indwells us. He's our teacher. He's our instructor. You're our reminder that when we're not quite doing it right, that we need to turn it around and do it your way. So our aim for this week is to be imitators of God, is to walk before the world in love so that they might see Jesus and that some of them may turn to him. Thank you. Work this in our lives and through our lives beginning today. In Jesus' name, amen.